welcome to Contemplate, a Bible teaching ministry of Pastor David Robinson and brought to you by Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington. When God speaks to us, in whatever way that might be, we need to listen and act. Here's Pastor David. This week, we're going to start at verse 26 in chapter 8 of Acts. If you've got your Bible, or it will be on the screen as always, uh, it says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Okay, so here we have an angel of the Lord speaking to Philip. Remember, Philip's the guy that had gone to Samaria originally and been preaching the gospel, and all these people got saved, and then... Remember, Peter and John came to Samaria after that, and we saw the Holy Spirit sort of fall in the church of Samaria. So Philip's this guy who's been going out and doing this stuff, and we see this angel, and he comes. And we've, we've talked about angels coming and talking to people before and how it usually is kind of a scary event. Oftentimes in Scripture, we'll see the first thing an angel says is, don't be afraid, right? It's, it's a scary moment. This is not um, people and angels don't always make for good partners, right? Because they are, uh, you know, a spiritual being. They're very powerful. And so here's Philip, and he gets this message from this angel, um, and the angel tells him to arise, okay? Uh, we don't use that word a lot, uh, arise. We usually say something like, get up. I don't, when my kids are laying on the couch too much playing video games, I rarely say, arise, right? I mean, that's not the way I talk. That's the way they talk here, but that's not the way I talk. But he's saying, get up. Get off your, off your keister and, and, uh, and go, it says, arise and go. And so we have this idea that, you know, uh, normally you're talking about somebody who's sitting down or laying down when this, when this word is used. But in general, it just means, hey, it's time to get up and go. It's time to do something new. Okay, so uh, where does he tell Philip to go? He tells him to go on this road from Jerusalem to Gaza. There was a Roman road from Jerusalem to Gaza. And the angel says, go. And this is an area of desert. We have our map right here. So we have Jerusalem here. Okay, Gaza's down here. I don't know that the road actually looked like that, but there was a road somehow that went to Gaza. And so he's up here, okay? This is Samaria. Uh, Philip's up here and he's telling him, hey, look, head down to Gaza, this, to this road. So he's got to come down to Jerusalem and go to this road. So that's where he's going. So you have a picture in your mind of where he's at and where he's going. Um, he said, tells him to go there. So here's an interesting thing. Philip has gone to Samaria and we read that all these people were coming to know the Lord. He is up there, he's doing what God's asked him to do, and he's killing it. People are, are coming to the Lord left and right. The church is growing. His ministry is, is, is powerful. And then, all of a sudden, an angel comes and says, get up and you're going to leave this whole thing. Get up and go. Um, I don't know that we normally understand when God does things like that. I don't know that we react well. Um, we might think everything is good. We're doing what the Lord wants us to do. And then when he calls us to do something else, uh, and some of you, have you have had this experience, I know I have, it's like everything's cool right now. I would understand if things were sort of tanking that you'd say go somewhere else, but everything's going well. And this is what happens to Philip. Right in the middle of things going really well, he's asked to not just go, but go to this desert, right? And so let's see how he responds. The 27th verse, it says, So he arose and went. Uh, we have talked a lot about prescriptive and descriptive. 
prescriptive being those things in the book of Acts that are telling us how we should act, and descriptive being the, some of the facts and the stories here that tell us what happened, but not necessarily that we should do the same thing. This is prescriptive. When God tells you to do something, when he says, get up and go, you do what Philip did. You get up and go, right? We don't see Philip going back and forth here. We don't see him putting out a fleece like Gideon did in the Old Testament. Um, we don't see him arguing with the Lord. Hey, things are going well here. Are you sure you know what you're talking about? Sending me to this other thing. That's not where he's at. He just gets up and he goes. He just did it. And to be fair, there was an angel there telling him to do it, which was probably a little scary. Um, and so he might have done it because, you know, you don't want to disobey a big, powerful spiritual being. But let's just assume that he had the right heart attitude as, as well, okay? That's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're supposed to do. When God calls you to something, your, your reaction should be immediate. It should be immediate, which is what we see from Philip here. He obeyed, and he did so immediately. That's prescriptive, okay? Rest of the 27th verse, it says... And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. Okay, so here we are. He sees this guy and he realizes that this is the target, that this is what he's been sent for. Target acquired. Here's, he understands immediately, this is, this is the thing that God has sent me here to do. He sees this guy. So um, we've got a map of, of kind of Ethiopia and stuff. I'm going to walk to this side this time. Um, this is Israel, okay? That's Ethiopia. Long way, okay? That's, for you, those of you who are, you know, distance, whatever, that is a, a long way, Sudan, Egypt, and so on, up to Jerusalem. So that's where this guy's come from. He's come from Ethiopia. That's where he lives. Okay, it says he's a eunuch. Um, so a eunuch is they uh, cut off certain part, uh, uh, they cut off your testicles, okay? Um, sometimes they actually cut all of your genitals off. Um, it depends on what's going on, I guess, how good they are with a knife. I don't know what all is involved in that, but that's what happens with a eunuch sometimes. So this guy is a eunuch, and sometimes people in certain positions in the ancient world would have to be eunuchs. We read in the book of Esther that the guy who was in charge of the king's harem was a eunuch. Uh, this guy was in charge of the treasury. He was a high official, and so he was a eunuch probably because of his position. Okay, and it says that, that he was under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. He's in charge of the whole treasury. Okay, so this is an important guy. He's, he would have had high social standing. He would have been an important guy. He's traveling in a chariot. He, he's got his retinue of folks with him probably. Um, and Candace is, is this queen who he's under. It's actually not a name. We use the name Candace as a name. It's actually a transliteration of the word Kandake, which just means title. It's a title, like being uh, the king or Caesar or things like that. It's just a title that all the queens of Ethiopia would have had. And so that's who he is. That's who he works for. And he's come to Jerusalem to worship. So for some reason, he has come into contact with information about the God of Israel. And he has come to recognize that, that, is, that God is the one true God. And it's such a serious thing for this guy that he travels all the way to Jerusalem in order to worship God. Now, this is a seriously long journey. You see the map there, uh, round trip, you know, even in his chariot, you're talking uh, somewhere between 96 and 120 days, 
okay? Round trip to come. That, you know, you're talking three or four months. Now, most of you probably, some of you are like, I had to come six minutes further to church at this school, and you're a little upset about that, right? This guy had to go a very, very long way. I'm annoyed when it takes five hours to fly to, like, Florida, right? Especially in those seats, those tiny little seats. I don't know. Uh, that's my own issue, I guess. I like, you know, first class is much better. Those things are really small, and it seems like they're getting smaller. My wife says it's possible that I'm getting bigger, but I don't, I don't know. She pays more attention to that kind of thing than I do. Um, so anyway, this guy's very serious, very serious about worshiping the God of Israel, that he would take a four-month journey. That's assuming he didn't stop in any of these cities for very long on the way. It would have taken him to get there, get back. You're talking somewhere three or four months of traveling um, in a chariot with a horse, which is probably not very comfortable. So um, he was committed, okay? God was calling him to be in this place at this time. And we'll see as we go through this story why and, and how God has worked to take a person from Ethiopia and get him on this road and get Philip on this road at the same time to see this thing that's going to happen here. So um, this guy is not mentioned as a proselyte. Okay, A proselyte is someone who was a Gentile who becomes a Jew. They go through circumcision, they go through these certain rites, and they become Jewish. That's a proselyte. This guy, it does not say that he's a proselyte, as where Luke does say that about other people. So um, we assume that he is, in fact, not a proselyte, uh, but we don't know for sure. Probably he couldn't have been, based on the surgical alterations that we talked about, because one of the things you would have to do is be circumcised to be a proselyte. Okay, And so here's the thing. When he would have gotten to Jerusalem, when he would have gotten to the temple, he would actually not have been allowed probably past the court of the Gentiles. He wouldn't have been allowed to be involved in the, in the services and, and stuff that was going on in the temple. He may have come for one of the appointed times, one of the feasts, whatever, and he would have been actually sort of rejected, kept out. Um, and one of the reasons is because the tradition is that a person who has uh, their genitals damaged is considered basically permanently ritually unclean. So unable to enter into the assembly to do certain things because they have, uh, their, their body is messed up and they're unclean. Not only that, but the historian Josephus tells us that the Jews of this time in the first century looked very, very badly on anyone who was a eunuch. Um, they, didn't, they didn't associate with them. They didn't talk to them. They shunned them. So this guy coming to all the way to Jerusalem to do this thing would have, when he got there, found that he would have been most likely rejected kept out of the serious worship of this God who he's saying he believes in. Um, pretty serious thing. So let's look at the next verse here. Verse 28, it says, was returning, so he's going back to Ethiopia, and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Um, so they read uh, out loud at that time. He's sitting in his chariot and he's reading uh, Isaiah. And, and I think it's hard to read and drive myself uh, I get sick if I'm in a car and I'm reading. Also, it's harder to see the road. Um, but I, it's, a, it's a tough thing. That's what he's doing. He's sitting there. He's reading Isaiah. Um, he would have had this, that he would have either gotten this book of Isaiah while he was in Jerusalem, or possibly it would have traveled all the way to Ethiopia. But you're talking about uh, something like this would have been incredibly expensive. Remember, books were not printed on a printing press. Somebody had to write this whole thing out. So he would have spent real money to have this text, this document, okay? And the fact that he is reading Isaiah is really cool based on what I've told you about him being a eunuch and being a foreigner and so on. And I'm going to tell you why. Check this out in Isaiah 56, verse 4 through 7. 
This is what it says. It says, For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. Even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. So there's a reason probably why this guy was turned on to buying this very expensive book of Isaiah. Um, that passage right there would have been enough to give somebody like this hope. He recognized that the God of Israel was the real God, yet he also recognized that he was being rejected by those people because of his physical issues and so on. And so this would have brought him a lot of hope. Okay, so let's look at the next verse. Verse 29, it says, Then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. Okay, first we had this angel tell him to go. Now the Holy Spirit is speaking to Philip and he says, go near and overtake this chariot. Um, all I know is that I'm glad that the Lord has not asked me to do anything that involved running like this. I was not built to run, okay? And, and this dude is in the desert, right? And chariots, I don't know if you know this, but they're drawn by horses, which are generally faster than people. Um, children are faster than me, but horses are faster than even regular adults, okay? I know some of you love to run, and you know you put on the outfit, and you guys saw people doing it this morning at like when we were coming over at like 7 o'clock in the morning, and I'm thinking, something's wrong with, with these people. And, oh, it's the runner's high. I get this runner's high. I'm like, is that the part where I'm gasping for breath, feeling like I'm going to die, or the part where I'm puking? Which is the runner's high? You heard of a donut high? Because that's the real deal, okay? Um, <laughs> I'm just saying, all right? Runner's high, whatever. But anyway, so he says to do this, verse 30, it says, uh, so Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? So he does, he runs. Congratulations to Philip, that's fantastic. Um, and, and he goes and he hears him reading. Like I said, they would have read out loud. And one of the reasons, a couple of reasons they would have read out loud. One is there was no like division between words and punctuation like we have. So you read it out loud to have the proper cadence and flow of the text. Also, they read it out loud because it aided in memorizing. And so that's the way that they would have done reading the Bible in the first century. I recommend next time you're at Starbucks, just read it out loud. Everyone will be fine with that. I, I'm sure that's going to work out really well for you. Just tell them that you're old school, okay? Um, so anyway, uh, Philip comes up to him and he starts with this question. He says, do you understand, right? Do you understand what you're reading. And let's see what this Ethiopian fellow answers. Uh, he says, and he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. So he's humble, right? He, he wants to know the Lord more. This guy says, do you understand what you're reading? Instead of being like, of course I understand, which is probably, I'm going to be honest, that's probably what I would have said. Oh yeah, I understand. No idea. But I just act like I understand, right? Um, or the kind where you're like, someone's talking about something, you have no idea, but you just do this thing. You're like, uh-huh. Uh-huh, and you're like, I hope they don't ask me any questions about anything because I have no idea what they're talking about, but I don't want to admit it. This guy's humble. He wants to know the Lord. He's going to, even though there's this guy running on the side of the road and he's this guy of high esteem and power who's in the court of, of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia and whatever, he's like, no, I don't understand. Come up here and help me out. Sometimes we, as, as Christians, get a, uh, a bad reputation um, for 
kind of being wrapped up in this idea of it's me and the Holy Spirit. It's just me and the Holy Spirit. I don't need anybody else to help me to understand what God wants for me or what the Bible says or whatever. People call that private judgment. Private judgment. I don't need any help. No one has any authority. No one has any ability to help me to understand Scripture, to understand the things that God wants. It's me and the Holy Spirit. It's a very kind of American uh, type feeling or a Western type feeling, this independence. I can do it on my own, right? And so they take the part of the Scripture that says that the Holy Spirit will help us to understand Scripture and to interpret Scripture, but completely ignore all the parts of Scripture that talk about the gift of teaching, that you should get teaching, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. They, they ignore all that, and they talk about the part where it says, well, the Holy Spirit will help me, right? Charles Spurgeon, who was a very famous pastor, he was quoted as saying, I could never understand why some men set such great value on what the Holy Spirit says to them and so little value on what he says to anyone else. Um, this is, this is a problem. This is a problem in Christianity, especially uh, Western Christianity. Um, we are intended to study Scripture on our own, absolutely intended, with the help of the Holy Spirit. We are also intended to be taught by others with the help of the Holy Spirit. We're intended to check what we're being taught by the Scriptures to make sure it's not inconsistent with the Scriptures so that we don't have false teachers teaching us, right? That's important. But the church is a body, and we can't all be on our own saying, well, I have my own private interpretation of this, and I have my own private interpretation of this, and we all have different ideas about what's right and wrong and what we should do and shouldn't do. That's not the way the church was designed to work. Um, I myself teach, but I also get taught quite a bit. Um, I spend time uh, listening to other people teach. I even sometimes spend time listening to myself teach. Uh, I watch videos every once in a while. My daughter makes fun of me, but... Um, Anyway, the point is, is that we are intended to study the Word of God, and we're intended to do it privately. We're also, we also do it publicly. The elders of this church are very, very serious and very, very committed to making sure that what is taught to the church is proper and appropriate and correct. Um, and, that's, and that's a very important thing. And we have a plurality of elders, many elders, partially so that we can hold each other accountable. Those of us who are teaching are held accountable by the, the other elders to make sure that what we're doing is correct. And so that's what we should be doing. But remember that being taught is an important part of understanding Scripture. This guy understands that right out of the gate. So let's look at the next couple of verses here, 32 and 33. It says, The place in the Scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Okay. Um, as with everything with the Lord, he's amazing about, about timing and, and making things happen. This passage is clearly about Jesus, but it was written 700 years or so before Jesus. And he's reading this, and, and he's seen well, he will be seeing Christ in this, yet 700 years before the Lord has, Scripture is full of prophecy that we see, particularly about Christ, that we see coming at perfectly true later in the Scripture. Verse 34, it says, So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? 
Talk about lobbing up a softball for Philip, right? He's, he's, he's going to get this opportunity. He wants to preach Jesus. Philip's all about preaching Jesus. This guy's like, who's he talking about? Who's he talking about here? So uh, Philip gets this opportunity, okay? It's very possible this guy's already heard about Jesus. Remember, he was in Jerusalem, which was a buzz with news about this guy who had died and rose again and all these followers of his and all these miracles that are being done. So he may have heard of him, but he hasn't necessarily made this connection. At this time, the Hebrew people did not associate Isaiah, this passage about the suffering servant, with the Messiah. Let's remember, what they take the passage for the Messiah were all the ones where it says, he's going to rule with an iron rod, he's going to conquer, he's the conquering king, he's going to come back. That's the part of uh, the, the prophecies about the Messiah that they all liked and so that they all kept. This other one, they didn't necessarily know what this was about, the suffering servant stuff, but they did not attribute it to the Messiah, which is why when we read the Gospels, we see Jesus saying, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, this is what's got to happen, and we constantly see the disciples saying, no, 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 that's not true, when are you going to come into your kingdom? Can I sit here right in your left hand? When are you going to beat up all these Romans, right? Constantly we see this, even at the beginning of Acts, even after he dies and rises again, immediately, then their next question is, okay, now, now are you going to do it? Are you going to beat these guys up? Are you going to take back over? Are you going to rule? That's, that was the mindset. So even this guy who knew something about the, the God of Israel, the only thing he would have ever heard about the Messiah from Israelites would have been this conquering Messiah. So we would not necessarily have put it together, okay? Okay. Um, so, next verse, verse 35, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. When the door opened, Philip went for it. What a great example for us today. As we're ready and looking for opportunities to share our faith, God will open doors for us, too. You've been listening to Pastor David Robinson from Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington. And let me invite you to come see us this Sunday morning. You'll really enjoy Pastor David in person. And easy directions are just a click away at axechurchnw.org. Or call us at 360-885-9000. Hope you'll join us for our next episode as we see the result of Philip's obedience. That's right here on Contemplate.